Hey guys, I'm JJ Outlaw, better known as the Gourmet Goober, and I'm here to share this great new recipe journal from author Gaby Lorano. It's a progressive cooking journal designed for short and simple recipes at the beginning before advancing with spaces for longer recipes as you go. It's colorful, fun, fits easily in the kitchen drawer, and it's perfect for any home cook. Best of all, it has over 100 pages for your most beloved culinary delights. Be sure to get your copy today at Amazon.com. Hey everyone, this is JJ Outlaw. And T Outlaw. And we are here before the start of our episode just to let you know that this episode of the Gourmet Goober podcast is actually divided into two parts. Why, you ask? Because we had a lot to get off our chest. And shoulders, and backs, and ears, <laughs> and arms. Exactly. So, what we decided to do is there's going to be two parts to this episode. Part one will cover what normally is how is our week. We'll also review the new restaurant, Pocolo Buca, as well as the new Prince experience. Um, we'll also discuss um, an experience that we had at the Oak Brook Center Mall. Segment two, um, part two, rather, will cover the best thing we ate this week, along with the three stories that normally intersect food and pop culture. So we thank you for understanding, and we'll promise that we'll be back with a single episode come in two weeks. Enjoy. JJ Outlaw. And this is T Outlaw. And we are back with yet another episode of the Gourmet Goober podcast. Thanks for joining us. If you would want to always chat with moi, you can find me on the Twitter at JJ Outlaw, the one and only, <laughs> despite someone reaching out to me recently and asking if I wanted to get rid of it because he's JJ Outlaw. Sorry, bud. Been there for a while. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. There's more than one JJ Outlaw? Shocking enough, there is. I don't know why. But yeah. Sorry. JJ is mine to stay. <laughs> okay. Um, if you want to find me on Instagram, I run the account at Gourmet Goober on Instagram. And for those of you who follow, I've made a little bit of changes. So you may notice it actually says the Gourmet Goober podcast because, you know. It's a podcast. So, <laughs> yeah. So that's where the stuff is, lives. Um, and as always, every week, I'm with my co-host, my BFF, that dude, the dark. Well, you know what? Most people are pretending like the pandemic is over, even though it's not. So do I have to still call you the dark desperado? 
Do you still wear a mask? Well, yeah, I'm not stupid. Then it's still going. <laughs> the dark desperado. And I'm not implying to people who don't wear a mask anymore are not stupid or stupid. I'm just saying for us personally, I don't miss getting sick. So I'm going to wear that mask for a little while longer because variants are a thing. But I'm here with T Outlaw. How are you doing? Hi. <laughs> <laughs> so you can find me, T Outlaw, on Twitter at T Outlaw, T O U T L A W, and on Instagram at T Outlaw Josie Wells. That's right. So if you on are on Facebook, and again, I'm not a big lover of the Facebook. But Before if you are, it becomes meta. But you are on whatever that thing may be called this week. Just know you can find us at the Gourmet Goober blog. You can also see us um, at thegourmetgoober.com, where we've been serving fresh since 2013, like our logo. <laughs> and you can drop us a line at thegourmetgoober at gmail.com. So, this week, oh my god, crazy week, right? Yeah, we've been busy. Oh, a lot. A lot of stuff. Um, a lot of stuff that we're not going to go into a lot of details with, but let's just say it involves power outages and heat waves and <laughs> me having dreams about my fan because it's so hot. So and finding out my dog was pregnant, even though he's a boy. <laughs> that was funny. Your art. And here's the thing. Our neighbor knows the dog, right? Yeah, I don't think it was, like, specifically our, like, neighbor. So maybe it was, like, someone visiting the neighbor. Yeah, it was a, I really believe it was a visitor to the compound. But then I took offense, because I'm like, my baby does not look pregnant. <laughs> I took offense to that. Yeah, you're Someone said our pregnant. doggy producer was pregnant. I'll have you know that our doggy producer is a good boy. <laughs> Very much. A boy. <laughs> a boy with a winky. <laughs> yeah, that is very true. That, yeah, our, I was confused yeah. by that. Exactly. Because if you look at him, there's when he's sitting, there's, well, he's to kind of breathe. There's no mistaking that. No doubting. There's there's no hair there's there. None. So anyway, not to give you that image, our doggy producer, by the way, where is he? Is he snoring? Yes. Oh my God. he He's just a big potato. A big potato who nevertheless finds the energy of, of Thor when we try to, like, trim his nails. <laughs> than that. Couch potato. <laughs> There's nothing worse than trying to, you know, trying to help a, a male dog get his, his nails did and fail violently. Oh, I wouldn't call it violently, although you did take a tumble when you tried to. Well, It was sad. We him. had, like, a little makeshift salon set up. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> it didn't go well. We're just going to say that. Well, anyway, outside of that, we are so excited for this week's show because partially because of the fact that we have three incredible stories that I know that you will absolutely love in our What's Eating That segment, including a call to arm. Are you freaking kidding me? I put it on do not disturb. I'm so sorry. My phone is possessed. <laughs> What's your phone got to do with me? Uh, apparently, 
background noise. I'm so sorry, y'all. <laughs> anyway, anyway, let's try this again. So we have three stories, including one that it, this is not a drill. We need to do something about our sriracha supply. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll talk about it more. But I have to admit, I got a little frequent when I, I read that. Her curl, her <laughs> her curls, sorry. Her pearls are, are being clutched right yeah. now. And my curls were straightened. That's how bad it was. Mm. Wow. <laughs> they just went bang. <laughs> it went straight out of my shock for what I read. But then also, this week, we get to share this episode. Two incredible experiences that we had on June the 10th, which I'm super excited about. Um, one we talked about on the show before, where... Um, for our anniversary, we recently celebrated our 17th wedding anniversary. And so my gift to Big Daddy was I took him to the Prince Immersive Experience, which is this exclusive um, like exhibit where you pretty much living the highlights of the Purple One's life. And it's only in Chicago. It's made its debut in Chicago recently. So it's an hour-long trip into this. Oh, my God. It's, it's just hard to describe, and we'll go into it a little bit more. And by the time the show posts, I'll, I'll be able to, because like I said, we've been finding power outages and heat waves and all sorts of crazy things this week. But you'll be able to see it both on my Instagram page as well as Big Daddy's Instagram page. So um, kudos to that. And we'll be able to share our experiences at the new Piccolo Buco, which if you don't know what that is, this is a fabulous new restaurant um, that's ran by our friends at Cooper's Hawk. Um, it's a concept restaurant where it it's run by this incredible gentleman we had a chance to chat with, Chef Luca. And in that restaurant, um, we got to try for the first time ever in the United States, this new form of pizza, called Roma Neapolitan and Roman Neapolitan pizza you're gonna love it it's it's an insane experience right it has like this puffy crust that you cut into like y'all they give us scissors to cut into this crust but so amazing but we'll talk about that in a moment but I wanted to start off with the Prince exhibit because again that was Big Daddy's anniversary present first of all how'd you like it how did I like it yeah I very much enjoyed it. I was I was pleasantly surprised. The best way I can describe it is um okay, first and foremost, do not go to this exhibit if you are not a Prince fan. Exactly. I mean even if you're I, I guess if you're a casual fan, I mean it'll be entertaining for you to like, you know, check out things here and there. But you truly have to be a devotee to you know uh, the image of his purple badness. Yes. Uh, especially, you know, coming from a... I had just talked with my sister about this, you know. <laughs> coming from Gary, Indiana. You know, the house of the king of pop. You know, I, I thought it was going to hurt my heart to, like, you know, go somewhere and, like, you know, let, pledge allegiance to, like, you know, uh, a very short man. Ooh! First of all... A very small man, but at the same time... I, I'm not going to let you disparage the purple one. I'm giving him praise. 
But very much, you know, I, for all the years that, you know, I have watched and listened to Prince music, I went there and I was pleasantly surprised and I learned a few things while I was there. Okay, so let's take a step back what yeah. you're alluding to. And, okay, admittedly, I'm the bigger Prince fan of the two of us. Correct. Which is funny because my parents are also very conservative. So a lot of Prince's music, I was not allowed to listen to as a kid. But when I got grown, I got into it. <laughs> Let me tell you, just as a side note, there's nothing like working as a student employee of a college. In my case, I was a resident assistant. Um, blasting sexy motherfucker. <laughs> One of Prince's songs. I'm sorry. Sexy MF. <laughs> For those of you with sensitive sensitive sensibilities yeah. <laughs> but blurring that song <laughs> from my door room and then having the parent knock on the door because they wanted to meet me because their daughter said I was a good role model yeah also wearing a toga by the way because I was getting ready for a sorority party <laughs> boy you were just a little were, <laughs> it was like a little freaknik where you were <laughs> I told you about that when it happened it was really funny Mm-hmm. I, like, opened the door. I thought it was you, actually, coming up to say hi. And I'm like, nah, it's me and a toga playing Prince <laughs> when a parent came by. Okay. That was great. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> what I was about to say was, <laughs> I really love Prince. But I also know that you're a fan, too, because... One year before Prince passed, when he did the Welcome to America tour, he had residencies set up. I I think he had one in, like, L.A. Didn't he have one in New York, too? Yes. I know he had one in Minnesota, but then he also had a several-day residency in Chicago. And we went to that show. I think we went to the second of three performances. And that performance was off the hook, y'all. Like, I don't even know how many... Do you remember how many encores he had? Like, it was so many. Like, people were getting up. And then he came back and performed. Like, we were in the hallway and we ran back to our seats. Yes. <laughs> and finally he was like, Chicago, can I go to bed? Which is hilarious. <laughs> we were getting because, a life. <laughs> yeah. Which is especially hilarious since the man who, quote, unquote, you know, was like, yeah, I'm, I'm done. Literally, like, went off after that and, like, went to the House of Blues and sat in on a couple sessions for like two and a half hours. Right! Like, one time, they actually turned off the lights on the encore, and someone would sweep into the stage. And we're like, okay, it's time to go. And then he just decided to come back. It was the greatest concert experience I've ever had in my natural blown life. So when the chance to get these tickets came up, I, without hesitation, got it for you. Because for me, it was... That gift, you gave me that gift at a particularly low part of my life um, that I unfortunately um, had a, was having issues on a job that I was on that was really starting to affect me. And so you decided to cheer me up by doing that. So that is why I got that for you. I didn't realize that you were conflicted with the Prince versus Michael thing, which, by the way, I was fans of both guys. I don't understand why... There had to be an either or. I'm like the little girl in the taco commercial. Why not both? <laughs> hey, hey. 
when you grow up in Chi, <laughs> you know, you have to leave, like before you can leave the city limits, you have to lay, you know, allegiance to, you know, the Jackson 5, you know, the Jacksons, <laughs> Rebe, Latoya, Janet. Wait a minute, not Latoya. That's right. Like all of them. I mean, even Randy. The Heart Don't Lie is a terrible song. You should all get credit for not. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> You don't want to get your, you know, your residency of, <laughs> of this city, like, revoked now. But, yeah, you have to lay allegiance to the entire family, even, you know, Papa Joe. You know, Papa Joe will come back and talk to you. I'm like, come on now. Latoya's heart don't lie. It was just hey, awful. Hey, hey, She was born here. <laughs> you have to give her something. That's like me making fun of Babyface, which I will never do. Yeah, don't, don't do that. Exactly. But make, baby you know, faces from Indianapolis, you cannot disrespect baby face. Yeah, that's like me making fun of Vivica Fox. It's, it will not happen. Well, hey, we do throw some shade sometimes, but baby face, no, you're never allowed to. Do okay, that. nonetheless, <laughs> but yes, I, I very much know. You know, when I was rocking the glove and the the jacket, <laughs> you know, I went to see pictures with you in the glove. <laughs> we burnt those. <laughs> But nonetheless, um, okay, back to the experience. <laughs> with the experience, the joy was, at, yes, very much being a fan of Michael Jackson growing up, and you know how much Prince and Michael Jackson, you know, they interact but didn't interact. Uh, the concept was, yes, I checking out Prince was cool because I was kind of, I was giving him like. The presence of knowing that he was a musical genius, but at the same time, not knowing every single inch or concept of how Prince, like, you know, how he goes through his music making process, how he kind of was bringing other artists along, and as how maniacal he was about how he built and unbuilt every single structure of music, of media, of, you know, even Purple Rain. And a couple other films, like, I learned so much during the process of, you know, just that one hour being inside the immersive experience. So I would say for me, it was a learning experience, one, but two, I had to get my funk on, you know. I hadn't heard good funk in a while, so, I, you know, that's what I learned. The incredible thing about the experience, first of all, is from the time you enter in, you're first greeted with this montage of just the background of Prince and his life and his on video before you go and you move through several rooms that have been completely designed to mimic some of his most iconic moments from his recording studio in Paisley Park to on set with the Kiss um, video and um, when doves cry um, that scene where he's in the bathtub and the flowers are stoned like you walk into those scenes and it's like you're enveloped in the video. Um, for fans of Purple Rain, and oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, you got to you got a chance to sit on the bike. The bike. <laughs> I lost my ever loving stuff sitting on the bike. Got my whole life to a big daddy, big daddy for all his. Oh yeah, well I'll just go and I'll just experience this and check it out and learn. Let me tell you something. When Big Daddy realized he got a chance to be on the bike, he came with all the bravado that I have ever seen 
and are over 30 years together. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. I didn't know I was a, a loot. I wasn't, you know, just spousing bravado. Oh, Big Daddy was on it. <laughs> so, so yeah. Um, it was just really an incredible um, time. And the great thing is you had a chance to do several things um, in order to just really put you in Prince's mindset. So, for example, the studio at Paisley Park you had a chance to put on headphones and remix songs from the Purple Rain album. Um, there was another room that I guess Prince, and I didn't know this, Prince had those interactive, like, glam slam stops. Yes. Spots where it's sort of like um, a creative space with, like, music and art and lights and fashion, and you can go... And so it was almost like a little dance club type thing that you can be a part of. And so it gave you an opportunity to like go in and experience that. Um, there's even a section where I really loved where it kind of gives you a chance to create your own Prince remix um, list. Which, you know what, I think I'll actually share that in the show notes. So, you, you know, you can share the funkiness that it determined that I'm one of the new funk soldiers, which is... I gotta say, it's my favorite iteration of Prince, because I grew up listening to the funk and all of that. So, yeah, it it really was a badass experience, um, getting there and just walking through, and the staff was incredibly um, helpful as well, so they took lots of pictures for you and things like that, but yeah, it it was insane. What was your favorite part of the exhibit? Uh, my favorite part of the exhibit, uh, one, I would say the, bare, weirdly enough, like, um, I mean, yes, being, like, in the studio, like, you know, mixing up, uh, le, uh when Doves Cry, not Doves Cry, I'm sorry, Let's Go Crazy, uh, you know, being able to hear, like, different chords and, like, you know, taking the voice, like, having the vocals there and taking the music out, going in, out, going out, um, being on the bike, uh, also seeing some of his guitars jamming in the, in Glam Slam, and I guess just reading about some of the history of Prince and the different artists that he interacted with. Right. I think the other part of the exhibit, I must love the experience because I donated like an umbrella to it. <laughs> you donated two umbrellas that day, but <laughs> never mind. Yeah. The purple one demanded. A sacrifice, and somehow yes. I gave him an umbrella <laughs> that I seem to have lost <laughs> that might still be there underneath the bike. The purple one takes what he takes. I guess so. <laughs> you know why he took your umbrella, right? Because I did not purify myself on the watches of Lake Minnetonka? Exactly. <laughs> that, and you've been watching Purple Rain wrong all these years, cheered for the time. See, I See that's trying, what you get for that. <laughs> I was trying to get through this without, you know, you know letting you're that wrong. be. I've been holding that back. But yes, I Big do Big Daddy cheers for more seeing the time of the movie. Of course. Because like the one brother said, like, you know, it's, uh, you know, uh, a goofy upstart, you know, trying to upstage... Um, a colorful, dramatic soul punk band. 
Uh, I'm sorry, a petulant, you know, upstart with daddy issues. <laughs> that was a better way of phrasing it. <sighs> You're not worthy. <laughs> it's like picking up Mjolnir. <laughs> you will never be worthy to pick up Princess Mjolnir. <laughs> okay, now she's dropping Thor references on me. But nonetheless, yes, I too... <laughs> was excited for the hour, but after the hour was over, I was saying to myself, how come there is no Morris Day presentation? You know, Because it's a prince immersive experience. Hey. There was no Apollonia or... <laughs> there was no Jerome Wendy. there. There was no Sheila E. Experience? There. Exactly. It's Prince. Yeah. And, oh, and they play Prince music all throughout. So if you love Prince music, you get to go through... And hear all of his great ones. And they play all the classics from my favorite Prince album, one of my favorites, Musicology, one of his later ones, um, to the um, the Batman soundtrack. Which I know people kind of have a love-hate relationship with the Batman soundtrack. Because essentially it's not just a soundtrack to the movie, it's a whole concept album that he put out. Right. But it's so brilliant. I'm telling you, this is my confession. I bump the Batman soundtrack at least once a week. Seriously. Still? Still, to this day. I love me some party. You know you love Party Man. I do. Party Man is your jam. <laughs> but, but like Party Man, Bat Dance, you know, on the Wings of Orion. Yeah, I love that album. I really do. Well, okay. I know you don't want to like you know pick amongst all the children, but like, do you have a specific, you know, Prince song? Or I know you mentioned album, but like a like a I will say a deep cut. Okay, it's a tie. There's two. One I really love seven, but then the second I usually say seven because the number one song that I truly love. A lot of people when I mention it says what. It's a song called Blue Light. Okay. And I love that blue that song because in a lot of weird ways, it kind of reminds me of us when we first got together about how we were just sort of opposites. Until we figured our shit out and like, oh, yeah, we do like each other. Oh, and you live in Florida and I live in Indiana. Okay, well, um, yeah, let's just try to do this. <laughs> Because it talks about two people who are just very strange bedfellows. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, I don't think we are anymore, but I mean, let's face it. We are kind of opposites in the regards. Like, you're very much a doubter and cautious person. I'm like, yes, let's go full speed. And you're like, Jennifer, well, let's just wait until you get the <laughs> Bob's Burgers interview scheduled <laughs> before you do the happy dance and have a conniption from not breathing on the floor of our desk in my this office. <laughs> this sounds like Paul Abdul's opposites attract. <laughs> well, we are kind of different in that regards. Okay. I can Plus, be I listen, scat cat. <laughs> I, I, I listen to Prince the right way, so. Oh, <laughs> here we go. Just because you can't love the the funk of Jimmy Jam and Terry and okay, no, 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 don't say that because you know I love me some Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Yeah, the stuff they did with Janet is iconic. All right, 
That's right. Don't Which once again don't, brings don't, you back to the Jacksons. Don't disrespect me like that. Yeah. Well, I respect the Jacksons, but and it's not to say I don't respect Latoya, but I know um, low low hanging fruit. We're not going to go there. We're just going to see bless our heart. Yeah. So. That's good. <laughs> Speaking of the umbrella, <laughs> can we talk about how <laughs> two umbrellas went missing on that day? Because after we went to the Prince Experience, and just to tell you background, so we're getting ready to leave. Big Daddy hands me an umbrella because we decide that we're going to take the train um, because we don't know how late we're going to be and parking near the Prince Experience might be challenging. Parking in Chicago is not good. Right. So Big Daddy and I were just like, hey, why don't we... Just take a train um, to Chicago, take a train to the western suburbs where the restaurant is located, and then, you know, we'll just take a train back. It'll be kind of a long commute, but we'll be able to get some rest in between and, you know, connect. And it's been a while since we've been on a commuter train. Yeah, we'll totally do that. So right before we leave to drop the dog off at the kennel, um, because we knew that we'd be gone all day and we didn't want to have him to worry um we took big daddy hands me an umbrella and he says it's going to rain like oh i didn't know that because it's perfectly sunny outside thank you for thinking of that yeah no worries so (laughs) to my detriment at one point i ask you because i'm carrying this big heavy purse would you mind holding just the umbrella and what did you say to me (laughs) i told you about umbrellas (laughs) Umbrellas and I are not very good friends. Yes. Keep that in mind. Put a pin in that for the rest of the story. (laughs) So we get to Chicago. We stop and get something to eat. He grabs the umbrella. We get to the exhibit. And as we're walking through the exhibit, we stop by one of the segments being the bike. And as we left, Big Daddy turns to me and goes, where's the umbrella? Oh, I, I don't know. I, I gave it to you. Mind you, Big Daddy has nothing else in his hands. The umbrella was literally the only job he had in this experience. Like, you he, you had one job <laughs> to carry the umbrella. Okay. <laughs> so, let the record show <laughs> that I warned her in advance that Umbrellas and I, in life, I've never been very good friends. Like, I cannot keep an umbrella in my hand. For some reason, there are things I lose, like, you know, gloves and, you know, uh, socks. But the concept of, yeah, there are certain things that just don't give me to handle for you because it's like like me carrying heavy material and then, like, right after that, holding glass. It will never end up well. True. But the concept goes like this. I... When we first started the experience, like, I brought the umbrella out. I told her to put it in her purse. There was no room in in my purse. There was no room in the purse because she had other things going on. Then, like, somewhere in early in the process, like, the... She told me to hold her purse. So I'm walking up Michigan Avenue with her purse, with an umbrella, with myself. and But I did it. But, yes, I had warned her beforehand. I'm not very good with umbrellas. So we went through the experience. I do remember exactly where it was. 
And like when I dropped it, but it was dark in the room when we took the picture with me on the bike. The spirit of Prince took the umbrella because we the, looked and we couldn't find it. And we couldn't find it. And plus <laughs> so the, the purple one took it. Exactly. The during the exhibit, what they tell you is, once you go into a room, you cannot go back. You cannot go backwards in the experience. So that means like nobody lingering around and taking excess pictures and whatnot. Like once you move through the experience, there is no like no. It's kind of like at the airport. You can't like uh, when you do the car return, you can't just go over the tires. <laughs> Uh, you know, like over the thing and then go backwards. Exactly, because if you do, you blow your tires. Exactly. Same experience. So me being me, like I go through the part and then I get off the bike, and then we're going into the next room, and then I say to her, "Oh, I left my the umbrella like on the floor by the bike." And by that time, we can't go back. Right. So I'm just like, "Oh well, the purple one got it," but I'm thinking it's not raining. So we leave, and of course, it starts to rain. <laughs> so we have some time before we take the train up to the western suburbs. So we purposely go to Walgreens, and while we're there, we get yet another umbrella. Now, we get the umbrella along with a couple other things that we take with us on our trip. Um, because even when we get to the western suburbs, we have some time to kill before we have to make our reservation at Piccolo Buco at 6.15. Um, so we thought, okay, so we get some, you know, a, I get a bottle of water. I think you got a, you know, like a soda, like diet root beer or something. We Not got like, the details, but yes. But yeah, we got some stuff. And then we make the train. Now, I asked, are you cool carrying the bag? Not thinking the bag with all the stuff and said umbrella. Big Daddy's like, yes, of course. So we get on the train. I doze off. I, were you dozing off or you just didn't see where we were? Uh, no, I did not see where we were. Yeah. So at one point, we were supposed to get off at Downers Grove. And it just so happens the train stops right before it pulls away. I look and I'm like, shit, we're at Downers Grove. So I drag you and we run. And the conductor, even though the door is closed, God bless him. He's so super nice. Because the South Shore would have been, like, too bad, so sad. But the Burlington Northern Santa Fe said, yeah, we'll let you off. <laughs> he did chastise us, to which I replied, I don't live here. I don't know where we are. Because they don't make the announcements of where they're pulling up. Yeah, we must have been in the quiet car, and apparently, like, it was not a bullet train. Yeah. So we didn't realize exactly where we were until we literally, like, looked out and saw the sign for Downers Grove. And I'm like, oh, that's so, that's where we're supposed to be. So we get off and down the screen. Now, keep in mind, Big Daddy is holding the bag that we got from Walgreens. And so we get off the tr train and, of course, it is raining. So I thought, oh, Big Daddy, do you, do you still have tea, the bag that we got from Walgreens? Why, yes. Is the umbrella in the bag? It's raining now. <laughs> no. <laughs> it was a loose bag. How do you lose nothing in the bag? But the umbrella, and that's in it. You know, it had, you know, like a long <laughs> neck head, even though it was a short umbrella. Yes. And the bag was loose, and I got off the train so quickly, I didn't realize that it had slipped out. Mm. And he says, I know exactly where it is. I'm like, me too. It's on the train. On the floor of the train. <laughs> and I'm that's like, where the bag was. why did you put it on the floor? <laughs> why don't you keep it in your lap? If you knew you had this issue, I would be holding on to the bag. 
no, it, it just, I sat on the floor where stuff rolls away. <laughs> so now it's raining again. We're down two umbrellas. And need I also remind you, for those who don't know, maybe not see me on social media, I have curly hair. And if you know what curly rain does to curly hair, yeah. So <laughs> now I have this huge monster's curly hair that looks like it's eating my head because <laughs> it's so big and it's getting wet and poofy. <sighs> Good stuff. <laughs> yes. Once again, I told you, umbrellas and I just, we just don't make good friends. Yes, I have learned that after we're down two umbrellas. Yeah, including my <laughs> umbrella that never got, never got used and never got wet. <laughs> so to the people of the Burlington Northern Santa Fe line, enjoy the umbrella. We're sorry for getting off the train late. <laughs> so finally we make our way. We stop at a Pete's, um... Coffee. coffee just to kind of escape the rainburst and sort of hang out until it's time to go um, we take an uber over to the restaurant itself which by the way piccolo buco is an incredible experience just incredible um when you go in first of all um there is you know sort of like a, it's not like a traditional it's kind of like an open layout type restaurant similar to what you'd actually find in the restaurant um, Piccolo Buco in Rome. Um, the restaurant itself is founded by a gentleman by the name of Chef Luca Issa. And the story that we were told, because we also had a great opportunity to talk to the founder of Cooper's Hawk, is that the founder of Cooper's Hawk was on vacation in Rome. And his wife was the one who found this restaurant. Um, the restaurant was run by Chef um, Luca Isa. His family has a long tradition in cooking. In fact, the sausage that was served to us comes from an old recipe that came from his grandfather. And let me tell you, the sausage, this... Um, it was the calamari. No, it was the Cabrini. I'm going to have to look. I wrote it down. Um, yes, the Calabria salami that was there um, was divine. It really was really great. Um, but anyway, this is something that came from his um, grandfather. Um, he told us this great story how his grandmother had to intervene <laughs> in order to get... The recipe, because I guess he asked for what six months. Yeah, he asked his grandfather for six months, and there was negotiations because his <laughs> grandfather was like not giving up that recipe or any parts of what made it what it was. Yes, but um, but yeah, he basically um, the the founder of Cooper's Hawk, um, and I'm trying to remember his name because he was amazing. And he talked to us too. Was um, it Tim? Yes, it was Tim, actually. Tim, oh my goodness, Tim McInery. Yeah, yes. Tim McInery. <laughs> Can't read my own notes here. But yes, he um, fell in love and asked Chef Issa if he could consider opening up a restaurant um, similar to his Roman restaurant in, in America. And after having an opportunity to tour Cooper's Hawk and getting to know 
each other. They went into partnership together. So first of all, the restaurant that Chef Issa runs is probably one of the most popular restaurants in Rome. So there's normally a wait to get in. And one of the reasons why it's so incredibly well known is because of the type of pizza he makes. It's called a Roman Neapolitan pizza. What makes this pizza so amazing is the crust, you guys. So it's even, it's so hard to describe. It's, it's sort of like this billowy, um, yet crispy crust. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of a extremely light croissant like uh, crust exterior. Yeah, I, I would, I would agree. It's almost like that, um, but it's kind of still has a chewiness to it. Yes. Um, but yes, so the crust is sort of this like this billowy, doughy deliciousness <laughs> that's on the outside. The, the base of the crust, inside, outside of it, um, the rest of the pizza, it's rather flat, but still very light. Um, so you get kind of the joys of both the thin crust pizza plus the thickness of the outer crust, um, the edges of it. And then the inside, he has really just intensely good ingredients that's all fresh. So... We're talking olive oil. In fact, we had a chance to sample a little bit of it. It's amazing. Um, two types of tomatoes that he uses for the pizza, the traditional um, red tomato. But then also he uses a yellow tomato as well yeah. as some of the basis of it, which you don't really see a lot of in American um, pizza that's more mass produced. And so the yellow tomato, if you've never tasted it before, has a slight, slight sweetness to it. That really pairs well with some of the more savory and spiciness of the other ingredients. Um, so, yes, we had a chance to sample that. Um, and, yeah, so the pizza, even in the way that you serve the pizza, it's really unique, right? Because, because you don't want to necessarily damage the outside crust of the dough. What you do is they actually give you like this pair of tongs and this small set of scissors. So you puncture the dough a little bit and then you cut into the dough, right? So you just make a wedge and then you remove it with the tongs. That's how you put it on your plate. Yeah. And let me elaborate the fact that, you know, for a person who's like a very, you know, disassociate like, you know, American pizza eater, the concept of, you know, not just using like a, you know, a cutting wedge or whatever, uh, like literally taking this thing and having to cut a precise slice in a certain way, like a puncture and um, kind of exacto knife type approach to the crust and then the lighter ingredients that are on the front like you know going into the the tip of the wedge <clears throat> and then having to extract it with the tongs isn't it like it's a technique and it does take a couple of tr- what well, actually took us like five minutes to you know be able to cut slices right you know because it it takes a little bit of training on our part and i think the uh the waitress had to help us like with the first and second slices so i'm like uh, it was 
different at first, but I'm willing to say that the the taste of this delicacy was uh it was actually it more than made up for like you know the technique of having to cut it, and also very much so. It's definitely great when it is warm, like you know when it's like fresh out the kitchen, and placed on your table, you know because, especially it it had a nice airy flavor, and with the fresh ingredients, it actually lent to an experience more not so much than just hanging out eating pizza and talking because, you know it took it actually takes a little bit of doing to learn how to do it right. Yeah, I have to admit, the idea of cutting into it and cutting a wedge and then lifting it up with the tongs, that took a little doing. <laughs> and I think if you follow Big Daddy on social media, which we we actually um, gave a sneak peek and we talked about it later on two videos that was posted on your Instagram page, um, followers there had a chance to check it out and see it um, in action. That said... Um, yeah, it was once you get out of and I think you're right, because I think Americans were so used to having our mass produced style of pizza that you would find it like Domino's or Papa John's or well, maybe not Papa John's, but <laughs> just different places where, you know, you just kind of cut in with your pizza cutter. So much of the experience is the interactive part of it. Um, that said, it tastes really divine. And Chef Issa and I, or, yeah, Chef Luca and, and the two of us, we had a really great conversation about we did. what it would take to bring this experience to the United States where people are very much used to a particular type of pizza. Um, but it's the sensory part of it, right? And And actually, I love the idea that he expressed about how pizza should be taken in more than just, you know, eating it. It really should be just like with any meal, um, which I think sometimes people think of pizza as sort of like a lore-style type of food, something that you can just fold and take if you go, if you live in certain places. Um, This is not that type of uh, interaction. It's very much as a more sensory experience. So you take it in with your eyes, you're very tactical with it, and put it together so it kind of forces you to slow down and really appreciate you know the beauty and the construction of the pizza yeah oh go ahead no no the only thing i was going to add was that it it's more of a you know as opposed to just like you know grab a slice you know sit down eat like it basically is like more of an a sharing experience you know whereas like you would sit down and you would share it with you know friends and family and you would talk as you, you know, because it almost takes technique just to, you know, get the pizza going, you know, and slices onto your, your plate. But it's like a sharing experience. And I, I wanted to interject that I, I see why it had a collaboration with Cooper's Hawk because of its pairing with different wines. It, because the wine that I had was... I believe it was a like a Zinfandel, but it also worked well with the Malo and a lot of other than like nice reds. Um, I, I mean, like I said, I'm not a good wine aficionado, so please forgive me. But it definitely pairs well with like really good wines. I will say that. 
here's the other thing that I wanted to touch upon since we mentioned briefly about the construction part. Yes. Is that because Chef Luca is really um, dedicated to making sure American audiences have the same experiences that his audience uh, do in Rome, is that they imported a lot of the ingredients that they would find in their Roman restaurant so that we would have it here. Um, so the olive oil is imported, um, the rip ricotta cheese and what went into making that was also imported. And here's the thing, because his restaurant, which, by the way, just as a side note, I put it on my bucket list of being able to see that restaurant because you know it's near Trevi Fountain, right? And you know that ever since I saw La Dolce Vita when I was in college, I've been obsessed with Trevi Fountain and wanted to see it. So he's not that far from Trevi Fountain. And if you guys are familiar with the area, um, as a result of being so close to Trevi Fountain, but also the aqueducts in the region, there is a very, there's something that's unique to the water there. And what often happens, which people don't really take into account when you make things like dough and cooking it there, that oftentimes what lends us his authenticity, believe it or not, is the water. It's just why Brooklyn style pizza tastes a certain way that I've heard from people, because again, it's based on the water and that's in the area. So Chef Isa, uh, uh, he goes by Chef Luca. <laughs> I always want to use his last name. Chef Luca, um, what he does that I think is brilliant is he brought in a particular type of filter so that the water is filtered in a certain way. So the exact type of minerals that goes into making this crust perfectly mimics what they find that's filtered naturally through the aqueducts of Rome. I mean, how, I mean, when you think about detail, that's one thing that you wouldn't really think about. But yeah, it's something that he took the time to do because that was a concern of theirs. Um, and I have to say, it really shows because we had a chance to try their spicy um, Roma, uh, spicy pepperoni pizza, which again came with the Calabria salami, the ricotta, um, the basil, um, and then of course that imported um, extra virgin olive oil. We also had their um, crispy fried um, zucchini f flowers, blossoms, which yes. that was the first time you had that where it had the four cheese that was included with it. It was really, really super good. Yes, I approve. <laughs> which is funny because you've never had, like I grew up eating zucchini flowers because my mom used to grow zucchini and sometimes she would make those. But I think that was the first time you had that. It was. Um, also, it had we had their pasta with the short rib um, bolognese, which I'm obsessed with bolognese sauce as it is because I think that stuff is amazing. I've made it before. Apparently, I thought I made it before because it's not as good as it is. <laughs> it's really good. But then, oh my God, dessert, dessert, dessert. <laughs> so they asked us if we wanted dessert. And we... Um, was looking over the dessert menu. One thing I do have to let you guys know, because again, it's tied to Cooper Talk, like you said before, a lot of Cooper Talk's menus have been perfectly developed in order to go with their wines. They are really known for their wine selection. 
In fact, that was one of the interesting parts of our conversation with Tim McInerney was he was sharing with us how the concept of Cooper's Hawk came about because he loves going to Napa and he wanted to recreate the experience for people who can't make it to the Napa Valley um, wineries. So the whole idea is to, if you've ever gone into Cooper's Hawk, they have quite a expansive direct collection of wines um, and other fine spirits. And of course, not only does it reflect in how they pair it with the menu items, but in the case of the dessert and the fine spirits, how sometimes it's integrated with the dessert, which is fine, unless of course you're like me, who's actually allergic to alcohol. <laughs> so we had a good time laughing with our um, waitress. Waitress, which shout out, was her name Lori too, or Lauren? Do you remember? What I want to say it was Lauren, but you know. Baby girl, please forgive me if I get it wrong. Yes, but shout out to you, girl, because we were... Her patience was <laughs> tremendous. Yes, and she laughed along with us for many of the stuff. So, like, when I was reading the menu, I was like, oh, this will kill me, too. <laughs> so, the menu items, which look incredible, um, including this chocolate hazelnut cake to tiramisu. We didn't try most of those because, again, I don't want to die. They did have this trio of gelati that's made by a company called Black Dog. Um, and we tried three. Um, we tried the olive oil gelati, the vanilla gelati, and then the hazelnut gelati. Because hazelnut gelati is my jam. And let me tell you, if you ever on this earth get a chance to try olive oil gelati, do it. Get your life. And I know what you're thinking. Olive oil and ice cream, that sounds insane. No. It is heaven in a bowl. <laughs> heaven it's in a bowl. Heaven in a motherfucking bowl. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. No, no. What movie of Samuel L. Jackson did we see yesterday? We saw Shaft. Yes. Yes. We saw the TNT edit of the movie Shaft. And now I'm forever obsessed with... You're looking for reasons to say monkey fighter. So, yes, it is heaven and a monkey fighting vault. Because, <laughs> they, of course, the TNT edit, you couldn't say MF. Like, I really shouldn't have. I'm a grown woman, I guess I can. You sexy MF. <laughs> you sexy monkey fighter. <laughs> so, they, they chased it. So they you had, mother farmers. A melon farmer. Melon farmer. <laughs> so they use words like melon farmer and monkey fighter for the real MF. So it is heaven and a melon farming bowl. <laughs> no, it's really good because it has the olive oil, which again is incredibly fruity, but it has like, you know, the density of the olive oil and it kind of blends really well with the ice cream base so it's not too sweet it has kind of like the hint of olive oil all throughout to it and because the olive oil is blended in and it's a slightly different flavor and it doesn't freeze like the other one i mean it it's just a different experience eating it and we were fighting for it to be honest <laughs> which is i guess kind of it, it was intriguing because i was thinking okay i'm i'm the basic safe one yes who will you know, pick vanilla at any turn and say, okay, that's the one I'll stick with. But yeah, the thing was, 
actually the olive oil gelati actually paired well with the uh, um the vanilla and actually paired well with the hazelnut yeah so i have to say that that was incredibly dreamy um yeah so shout out to the incredible i keep saying incredible the incredible <laughs> um shout out to the amazing people honestly at piccolo buco their staff was great um meeting chef luca was a dream he was really really funny and he actually sat down and talked to us for a few minutes and like yeah. he actually was very accommodating cordial uh he was a he was a definite italian man's man also shout out to our good friend Lori Carnes, who was kind enough to invite us to this experience and hooking us up with it um she's invited us to several other experiences hosted by cooper's hawk in the past as well as when I had a chance to meet Tyler Florence, the um, chef Tyler Florence, and to actually see his movie premiere, um, she was the one who put that together for us as well. So we were just totally thankful for her and her continued support of the Gourmet Goober, both the blog and blog, and now the podcast. Um, so yes, you're totally gumbo worthy. I got to say that. Um, so how would you? How would you, overall, what was your final thoughts on the experience at the restaurant? Over the, I guess the time that I was there, first and foremost, I feel like I was underdressed. Because <laughs> it was a, it was a, it was an influencer event. But at the same time, the thing I learned was that I, weirdly enough, like when I spoke before about it being like a, like a, a sharing experience, one of the most interesting things that I thought about as I was sitting there because I very much loved, you know, hanging out with the gourmet goober and we had a lot of fun and talking. It actually felt like I wanted to like have more friends or family along with me. That way, you know, that we could all kind of sit in like, you know, one big, you know, friends, associates, you know, uh, collaborators, accomplices. That we all, you know, can sit there like family and kind of enjoy the meal together because it was like that. It was a sharing experience amongst colleagues and friends. Definitely get a larger table. That was the only thing. Yeah, that was the one drawback. <laughs> Definitely get a larger table because <laughs> the amount of things that we consumed was almost comparable to like if you go to like a Beko de Boot. A Buco de, de Beppo. See, this is where I'm going to screw up. <laughs> But yeah, it's like the concept where if you have a little table, little intimate table, it's not going to accommodate the amount of things that will be on your table, including the wines. And it takes, yeah, it takes a village and it also takes a big table to accomplish some of the things that you're putting together in one meal. So over the top, like I, I was very much impressed with the staff, the chefs. You know, the winemakers, the wine deliverers, and just the overall waitress, waitressing staff that was there to help, you know, get us through our experience. So I was very enlightened and very delighted. So that was me. Well, good. Well, good. Well, we were just really happy to share this experience with you. So, um, and like I said, to be fair, we intended to get it out. Um, late last week, but, you know, with the power outages, because we had, like, a 
big tornado warning and storm that blew through here that thank God we avoided, but it took some of the lights out with us for quite a bit. And then <laughs> the heat wave where it's really hard to do anything when it's like 90 degrees in your house and you have three pets that are like, make it stop. <laughs> Passed out. <laughs> so yes, it's been sort of a, it's been a week. <laughs> but now that all of that is together, um, yeah. And the AC is fixed right now, so. Yes, the AC is very fixed and our fans think us. Because I think for a while the fan that I usually use um, in the evenings looked at me like it was just going to, are you crazy lady, really? <laughs> I've run all night long for you and now you want me to do this 24-7 in a day? Okay, no. Um, before wrapping up this segment, there was one low light that kind of happened and it had nothing to do with the Prince experience or anything to do with Chef Luca and Tim and the rest of the incredible team um, at Piccolo Buca. And we were kind of hesitant whether or not we would talk about it. In fact, as we had a lot of time to talk, as we sat in the dark or by candlelight, (laughs) we were waiting for the power to come back earlier this week after the storm that affected thousands of people and the tens of thousands of people, I guess, in the Chicagoland area. Um, we went back and forth as to whether or not to talk about it. And we decided to do so, but we're going to raise it in a different format because we did run into one, well, two incidents where it wasn't a single event. It, it seems to be indicative of a of a, a bigger problem, a pattern that the Oak Brook, Illinois um, area, particularly the Oak Brook Center has with some of their guests, particularly guests of color. Um, and we're, we, you know, we'll, we'll probably, we're looking at the best way to address it, but I wanted to bring it up because, again, as a lot of our listeners are people of color, we want to guarantee that anytime they go into a space that they feel welcomed and um, they they feel like it's something that they can fully experience just like anyone else, as should be our right. Um, um, without going into any details, um, well, I mean, we we did say we would name it, right? Yes, we did. And the look on your face, you're just like, and you're going to be the one to do it. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, I, okay. I, if you would like for me to, I, I don't want to, like, lay disparaging remarks to anybody, but the truth is the truth. Yeah. Well, and this has actually happened on a few occasions. In fact, the last two occasions, we went to Oak Brook where we were profiled <laughs> um, throughout you know, at certain parts of our trip. And it happened um, particularly while we were there on that day. Um, Although, to be fair, the gentleman who did it the second time, I think he knew that we knew what was going on because there were other people, but they just went to us (laughs) that was out and about. um, And the gentleman was even apologetic, like, look, I'm sorry, this is something that I've been directed to do. Well, he didn't say it out and out that way. But. but he didn't say it out and out that way, but he did apologize. Yeah, he was apologetic. Right. Um, 
But that first gentleman, I guess the reason why it upset me, and I didn't know this until after the fact, was that you were followed into the restaurant by the first person. And again, what happened was we went into the restaurant to check in at 6.15. My back was turned to you. And I was talking to the people and letting them know. And I know I probably look like, you know, big head Tom and the Monsters with the big curly poofy of hair. Um, because you lost two umbrellas. <laughs> yes. Yes, I did. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> that is not what the story is about. <laughs> but unbeknownst to me, and I didn't know this until the next day, when we were sharing our experience and writing down notes, um, you had told me that someone had pulled up um, in, in, um, in the security car, right? Okay, yes, a security guard was, <clears throat> he had uh, walked up to me, like, as I was starting to enter the restaurant, and, you know, I asked, how was it, how was everything going, and where was it, you know, how, how, where was I, sorry, let me try this again, because, like I said, I don't want to, like, make things, out, like, make things that may or may not be there, but, like, the original... Um, interaction was like I was walking into the restaurant we had been invited there I was walking in behind a, a couple of people including the gourmet goober and the gentleman had gotten out of his car and walked up and was just asking me like casually how was I doing how was everything going on but you know this is a closed officer um, with the two security staff there and I walked into the restaurant kind of cordially talking to him and I thought that he was just going there to, you know, talk to, you know, someone else with the restaurant, like, you know, maybe the owner or, you know, maybe one of the wait staff or whatnot. But after I walked in and we were at the, I guess, the greeting table or the, you know, the where they take us before we go and sit down that the officer had got left the establishment after I was checked in. Now, mind you, there was a sign that said that it was closed off for training. And we just walked right on in. But we were there because we were invited. <laughs> you know, we go to lots of events when we were invited. Um, so, yeah. Um, and I know maybe listeners who've not experienced this before may not be well versed into what particularly could have been up. But then afterwards, when we left the restaurant, and again, there were multiple people <laughs> that were outside around, and moving yeah. outside. We were trying to talk about what would be our best experience, our best way to get home. Like, do we take a train home? Do we just take an Uber um, back to um, Chicago and just, just catch the South Shore back? Like, what would be the best method to do this? And, and, and this was out in the open amongst just she and I, like, we were just like, uh, like out congregating outside, just like near the curb. And let me mind you, they were very generous as we were leaving Piccolo Buco and someone um, provided us a gift. So we also had bags with us, right? But they didn't know where the bags, well, they kind of did because they had the logo of the bag on the outside of it. So it was very obvious what it was. Which is great and all because we're... I'm sorry, too. We're in a shopping center. We're in like, a shopping center. 
No, we should have nothing but bags. Right, exactly. You should want us to have bags, people, because that means that we have spent money at your fine establishment. So, so we're outside and we're talking and we're also, keep in mind, we're not yelling at each other. We're actually laughing because we're trying to figure out where we're going. And then we were like, okay, there's a ginormous Barnes and Nobles over here. Which I'm angry about because I miss ginormous Barnes and Nobles. They close them out over here. Yeah, it's like a dinosaur. You just kind of look at it and be like, hey, look at that. Let's let's check that out. Exactly. And we used to go to Barnes and Nobles before the days of the Rona, you know, and the before times, all the time before they closed them. Um, so we're like, do we go to the Barnes and Nobles or do we go around the corner to our house or to Macy's? Um, so as we're having this conversation, and mind you, we are not alone. It's a fairly active little space there. But there, and I saw a police car, like a security car, just kind of circle around. And then the guy, you know how they go through a parking lot and you can see they're going through a pattern. No, this guy like backed up, went through again, and then circled right around and parked in front of us. <laughs> and we looked like, yo, what's is there a problem what's going on and he's like hey we just want to check you out how are you doing what are you doing right now and we're looking at him like dude we're just having a private conversation why is this your your info why are you coming to us and there's other people <laughs> and the guy and this gentleman who's an it was an older african-american gentleman we sort of stopped and looked at him and he looked at us and he's like hey I apologize, but I have to ask you this. Those were his words, basically. Mm -hmm. And we just sort of stopped and like, oh, okay, we know what the deal is now. Um, Now, mind you, I didn't know what happened to Big Daddy before he went into the restaurant. So this is my first experience with it that day. But like I said, we've had other experiences before where the last time we went, again, in a very crowded place... Where in this case... On Sunday in Oak Brook. On the Sunday in Oak Brook and Center, where there's lots of families and lots of people. And on that particular incident, we were looking for Williams-Sonoma. Because I remember now, because we were going to Williams-Sonoma because you wanted to treat me to something from Williams-Sonoma, which is like... You you should never turn me loose in Williams Sonoma. It's not a safe space for yeah. me. <laughs> I have a I, I have a list of places that she should not be in more than five minutes. Yeah, Crate and Barrel shouldn't be there for more than five minutes. Williams Sonoma or Sir Latab, he gives me time limits. He's like, look, there is a time limit. Otherwise, I will drag you out of the store. Because it'd be up to me. I'd just carry half of it. Can't be in Italy more than 15, 20 minutes. Okay, that's not fair, because you can't go through the first floor of Italy in less than 10 to 15 minutes. You got 10 to 15 minutes, and then we have to start <laughs> talking about other things. Seriously, it takes me 10 to 15 minutes to go through that little section where they have, like, all the the instant food that you can take with you. Like, they have an entire Italian chocolate section. How can you go through that in the coffee in 10 to 15 minutes? That's just wrong. <laughs> So what I'm trying to say is, um, in this particular, we were looking for the Williams-Sonoma, and we were looking for the little thing, and it was just out of nowhere, you know, it seems like this guy kind of ran and put himself in front of us, and, like, interrupted our conversation. 
hey, what are you doing? Are you guys okay? And I'm looking around like, are you asking everyone else? Because I just thought it was very strange that suddenly (laughs) you would go out of your way to just ask us this. And, you know, I mean, I could see if we were like yelling or we're calling for help or things like that. No, we didn't look like we needed help. I mean, we weren't in there like our tone of voice was conversational amongst us, too. No one else can hear us unless you are with us. Right. But again, that happened. And then when we on the way to Williams-Sonoma, where we decided to stop at Sephora. Was Was it Sephora Sephora or or was it Ulta? I wasn't sure. I'm not really sure. It was the beauty supplies. It was one of the big two. I think it was Sephora because I remember the black and white marks and nothing against Sephora themselves, but... No, nothing against Sephora. I love Sephora. Y'all have the Fenty. I'm... Y'all my people. So apparently you have her money. (laughs) Yes. You've had my money many times. Let's just say I've moved up since the pandemic on the VIP list, okay, where you spend so much... (laughs) because your mask and facial stuff is next point but it was one of those things where we were looking at the victor ross flower bomb or no it wasn't a flower bomb it was one of their bomb fragrances it was whatever is a men's fragrance that i like to wear too because it smells delicious on a woman and so we were talking about it amongst ourselves And this woman came up and asked, well, what are you doing? And we're like, oh, yeah, we're just having this conversation. And it's a very busy store. And she just stayed there and, like, stared at us. And we're like, oh, okay, well, she goes, well, do you need anything? Oh, no, we're just looking and talking about whether or not to get the fragrance. Okay. And then she continued to stand there. (laughs) A little too long. A little too long. And then we put the fragrance down because while we were there, I went to get like a hair thing for natural hair that they only sell at that point there. So we went to look at that segment because we saw it. And then she follows us over to that segment and then stands again and just stares at us. And I'm just like, oh, you want us to leave? Okay, well. I left. <laughs> well, thank you for playing. <laughs> And it was to the point where I was so angry about what happened, even after we left and went to Williams-Sonoma, because you were trying to calm me down. Mm-hmm. And I decided I would, almost went back in the store and complained, and I probably should have. But you know me, and you know that... Her conversational tone was going to change into an affirmative, you know, going to be like her mother tone, in which no one wants that. It would have been like, I know what... What the mother... What in the monkey fighting thing were you think you're doing? I'm a plain customer. Come on. You you don't know me from Adam of all the store people in the store. What was that about? We both know what that was about, sis. But you stopped me. Because in your words, it's a nice Sunday and I have no bill money for you. (laughs) So I decided to not deal with it. But it became enough of an issue... And it's now this has happened two times, like the last two times that we went to Oak Brook, where we wonder if it's something that's system systematic. Um, that's there. And I guess we spent way too much time than we intended to talk about this. Mm-hmm. 
We did, but I guess there was part of this that needed to be said. And once again, I would like to illustrate that before we were working on this topic, the concept of I want to make sure that everyone knows that the the people of the restaurant, yes, the chef, the staff that were within the restaurant were very pleasant. They were very accommodating. And I had an absolutely lovely time yes. in the restaurant they and couldn't in have, the Barnes & Nobles. They couldn't have been friendlier. Barnes & Noble. In yeah. fact, at the Barnes & Noble, they were in, in, <laughs> amazingly incredible because as we were leaving, the gift that they gave us, unfortunately, we had to get another bag for it. Yes. Because of the weight of what was in the bag. Um, which is astonishing, by the way. And we're going to share what's in the bag at a future time because... We or not. Well, we decided to do something really cool with part of the gift they shared. But we're not ready to tell you yet. So. I'm drinking it. <laughs> but anyway, they couldn't have been nicer because we explained at Barnes & Noble what happened. And they're like, oh my gosh, yeah, we can totally help you out. Here's something that you can use to rebag it. You know, go with God. So, yeah, they were super, super cool. So I don't want to color everyone in the stores, all the stores there. But it happened enough, particularly since three of the four incidents involve people who work security there. And I Googled it. And there are other people who have complained in the past about having similar experiences there. That it's enough of an issue that we say that because we want to make sure that everyone... We would not we would not feel comfortable sending people to a space if it's not going to be an enjoyable experience for everybody. If that makes sense. Yeah. I mean ultimately I know that there are people who who have jobs and their job is to, you know, to be there, you know, if issues should arise. Your security, your security, but at the same time, be better at it. Yes, especially accommodating for the part. Um, and that includes everyone, not just, you know, certain individuals. I guess the part that really made me angry about the whole experience is when you told me about it after the fact. And I was like, well, why didn't you tell me that day? And you're like, you, you, were, you were just thinking, well, maybe I just didn't look like I'm a patron. And I'm like, you know, there was no dress code to go shop there. Or to be there. I mean, you could show up in a paper bag and call it fashion. That's not the point. Now, granted, they could ask you, why the hell are you in a paper bag? I mean, obviously, don't wear out a prince of Prince's butt-out jeans in order to go. That might stir, cause stir. But the point I'm trying to make is that should not be taken into account. Fair. And the thing is... Part of the reason why I was not sure how to address it was that, honestly, we live an experience where to live in our culture, to live particularly um, either as a black, indigenous or other person of color, is often to be in a space where you're gaslit into thinking that what is happening is not really happening to you. Because it's not the shared experience of everyone. And rather than address 
issues as they happen, they worry about the discomfort of others. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I don't want to make myself discomfort. I'm sorry that happened to you. But, and then go back to what it is. But I'm just thinking, as we look for asking for seats at the table and equity, a lot of that means telling our truth and being upfront about things as they happen. Um, and it's to make everyone better because, you know, we should have every right to feel comfortable and have fun. And especially since we came from a long way. Let me just say, coming from Northwest Indiana up there, it was quite a bit of a hike, you know? Yeah. And so, that's the thing. With, like, when we first got married, we spent, like, we lived in around near that community, not specifically the city, but we lived in a, an adjacent village. Right. And I guess the thing that, if I could make this short and sweet, was... Let's make no mistake, I've been on this earth 48 years. And I, I grew up in a, an amazing community that people that looked kind of like me. At the same time, I knew what I was going into when I went to, you know, a western suburban city. Um, and I guess I struggled with originally, like, bringing this forward uh, because... I've grown up learning things like, you know, more than just the talk with, you know, my family or my my siblings, with, you know, my, my parents and whatnot. We talked about this. The concept is sometimes you just, you have to pick your battles. And originally my thought was, you know, I'm so used to this that I'm just trying to acquiesce and get through the situation and not like overthink it too much. But at a certain point, there comes a time when, if for no other reason than just to share the experience, so either somebody learns from it or somebody is just aware, is bigger than just me acquiescing. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing. Like, we wrestled back and forth about should we say something, should we not say something, we ultimately decided to say something because apparently from other people's experiences as well, that this is a systematic um, issue that they're struggling with there where it could be due to, you know, unconscious bias that it takes place. And that's why it's not fine. You know, everyone has unconscious bias. So... I'll say that right off the point. Um, having worked in justice work and teaching students about how to recognize it, how to deal with it, how to acknowledge it, it would. Ulti- I felt it would make me hypocritic to having worked in that space previously and not do it in my own personal life. So that's one reason to address it. The other reason is that I was inspired by this really great personal essay that was recently published in Friar. Variety um, magazine by um, a black woman who went recently to the Cannes Film Festival um, in order to work um, on behalf of Variety to take a look at some of the upcoming films. And to sh- she wound up doing this essay. Um, the the person, which I'll put a link on it. Um, I think it's an excellent read. It's by someone by the name of Valerie Complex. And she writes about her experiences where there were a lot of microaggressions that she experienced 
including being pulled out of, um, you know, just kind of identified separately from the rest of the people that were there. Um, you know, are you supposed to be in this space? Let me check your ticket again. Let me go through every inch of your bag to screaming at her because she had a pack of gum and French. I mean, it's gum. It's not like she robbed the place. It's gum. Um, where the bottom line is it caused her to kind of question herself mm. and her right to be there and her her sanity and the whole idea of, you know, making sure that their ability to do their job and everything is recognized and honored and so forth. Um, she did such a great job in her explanation and, oh God, please don't fight dog and cat underneath the chair. <laughs> um, they did such a great job about it that I decided to speak up as well. Um, so yeah, we don't want to furlong the issue longer than we have. Um, this has gone way longer than I was expecting, <laughs> but we got it out now. So there we go. So I tell you what, this is a perfect time to take a break. We're going to do a transition and then we're going to go over three very um, short but very relevant stories that does meet the intersection of food and pop culture. And we will share the best thing we ate this week, which um, I think it'll be a good surprise, at least for you, because you're telling me that it was something you were enthusiastically ready to share. Okay. And I hope it's not the same thing that I chose. <laughs> I don't think it is. <laughs> but anyway, um, you are listening to the Gourmet Goober podcast, and we will be right back. <laughs> 